0: The following message is from Grace City Church in Ottawa. For more information, please visit gracecity.ca. This morning, what we're going to be looking at um, is uh, the, the miracle of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the uh, incarnation of Jesus, the Word becoming flesh. Quite a quite a a, a big theological topic there, uh, but. What we're looking at this morning is similar in the sense that it's not a miracle that Jesus did for others in the sense of raising the dead or giving the blind sight or, or uh, those that were unable to hear giving them their hearing. It's not like that. This is something that Jesus is himself and did himself but still is so key to our relationship with Jesus and faith in Jesus Christ. This story is written in Scripture because it matters. This is a a detail of the life of Jesus that really matters, and we need to look at it and treat it uh, with with that sort of uh, respect and 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 seriousness—not in kind of a stern way, but seriousness—and no, it's written in Scripture, so there's there's life in this for us. There's meaning. There's purpose in this for us. So to do that this morning, this story of the of the ascension of Jesus can be found at the very end of Luke's Gospel and also at the very beginning of the Book of Acts, which is also written by Luke. We're going to look at it this morning in Luke chapter twenty-four. So feel free to turn to Luke twenty-four. It's just a few verses this morning, verse 50, we're going to start in verse 50, it'll come up on the screen here behind me, and it says this, and this is all happening about 40 days, 40 days after the, uh, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? It says this in verse 50, "'Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands he blessed them, and while blessing them he parted from them and was carried up into heaven.'" And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is how Luke's gospel ends. It's with these short verses, the ascension of Jesus. They go out as far as Bethany, Jesus lifts up his hands, he blesses his disciples, and while he's blessing them, he parted from them, carried up into heaven. Any detailed list of the miracles of Jesus surely should include this, shouldn't it? In this miracle, Jesus there with his disciples, his feet lift off the ground. His feet lift off the very ground that he made. That's something that we looked at last week. We read that the Word became flesh, this very Word of God, who is Jesus Christ. This word is the same word, the same Jesus that spoke everything into existence. All things were made by him, and all things were made for him. We looked at that last week. And now this ground that Jesus made, Jesus in his ascension, he's there, he's outside of Bethany with his disciples, and he starts to lift off of the very ground that he made. This happens right in front of his disciples. Let me tell you something that I love about the Christian faith. Something I love about the Christian faith, it is this. The Christian faith invites us to engage with this faith in a childlike manner. And I love that. The Christian faith invites us to engage with the things of God with a childlike faith. It's very different than a childish faith. I'm choosing my words carefully here. To be childlike and be childish are very different But not only does it invite us to engage with these things, including these stories in a childlike way, it actually requires us to do that. Jesus said this very thing himself in Matthew chapter 18. His disciples were asking him, who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to be the greatest? You Imagine the disciples gathered around Jesus and and having that type of conversation. Surely they know that it's Jesus who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But at that time, no, they, they don't. They're having this big debate. They they still at that time thought that Jesus had come as this military leader, this promised Messiah. Even that word Messiah has this military connotation who is going to come and defeat the Romans who were holding uh, the Jews captive in a sense uh, right there within their own culture. That's what they were expecting of Jesus. Who's going to be the greatest in this military conquest? How does Jesus answer the question? In Matthew chapter 18, he takes a child who's nearby and places the child in the midst of the disciples. And Jesus says in verse 3, he says, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that amazing? I want to show you a photo that is going to relate to all of this. Let's put this photo up of the Northern Lights. This is a photo, I know it looks a little bit blurry up here on a, on a colossal screen, but I um, actually took this photo on Friday night in Quebec, an hour or two north of, uh, of Ottawa, where we're going to be going for the church weekend. We're out on the dock, and we were with friends who are visiting from England. Um, you've seen our, our family, rather, are, and friends that are visiting from England. That's why all the other British kids, the, the kids that sound like Mary Poppins that are up here, okay? That's all family that are over here that are visiting. We're out there, and we're on the dock, and Natalia says, look over there. And we look over, and we see the northern lights. It's just amazing. We went out on the dock. We got, got the kids up as well. This is around midnight. We go in wake the kids up. Kids, come on. Come take a look at this. We go out on the dock, and we... Take a look at this, the Northern Lights. I want to read to you a description of what the Northern Lights are. This description comes courtesy of what uh, many people consider to be the most highly credible and easily editable source of knowledge, Wikipedia. So this is a description of the Northern Lights from Wikipedia. It says this, it says, Auroras are the result of disturbances in the magnetosphere caused by solar wind. Major disturbances result from enhancements in the speed of the solar wind from the coronal holes and coronal mass ejections. These disturbances alter the trajectories of the charged particles in the magnetospheric plasma. These particles, mainly electrons and protons, precipitate in the upper atmosphere, the thermosphere, the exosphere, the resulting ionization and excitation of atmospheric constituents. You should really be applauding me now for getting through that sentence. Okay, my goodness, so hard to impress. Um, Emit light of varying color and complexity... The form of the aurora occurring within bands around both polar regions is also dependent on the amount of acceleration imparted to the precipitating particles. Isn't that an inspiring description? No. <laughs> like, it's not. And even as I was setting up that, that, that slide uh, this morning in the cafe down the street, I'm looking at it, and, and I just wanted to take that text. Just, just put it back up. Just put the description back up for a minute. Just even looking at this, looking at the text above this, you're probably thinking of the same thing I think. Move the text out of the way. like Get it out of the way. I just, I just want to see it. I just want to see it for what it is. Dear friends, isn't this a bit what it can be like in a relationship with God? There can be times when we can get so uh, caught up in some of the details, some of, some of the rich theology, which is not bad, some of the philosophy, which isn't necessarily bad, But in the process, in getting so into the detail and becoming so academic and cerebral about it, we lose a childlike sense of wonder. And I'll tell you, as we were out on that dock at midnight on Friday night, the one thing that we had for certain together as we stood there, children and adults alike, was a childlike sense of wonder. That same night, I mean, the only reason that we saw the Northern Lights was because the sky was so clear and where we were, you'd look up and it's away from any cities, it's away from any towns and the stars, we could actually see the, 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 the cloudy haze that is the Milky Way. I mean, it was just stunning. We lie down on the dock, just looking up. And what do you feel like when you do that? You feel like a kid. You feel like a kid. And there's something so precious about that. As I was growing up, I grew up uh, in a church setting, I grew up as a youth group kid, I grew up in the worship band, I grew up with a number of young guys that were very similar in that sense. Some of those guys went on uh, to study philosophy in university, some went on to seminary philosophy, theological studies at high, high academic levels, some in very prestigious universities around the world. But let me tell you one thing that I've seen happen, as many have gone on that journey, is that even though there has been such a detailed awareness of the things of God, there's been a loss of a childlike wonder of God. And what has ended up happening is that pride has ended up stepping on childlike wonder. It's very possible to know the scientific explanations, if you will, the deep theological explanations, if you will, the philosophical explanations. It's possible to know all of that, but to do it in the most unchildlike way. And Jesus is saying, No, no, no. In my kingdom, in my kingdom, those who will be the greatest are the ones who will humble themselves like a child. Now, again, I want to be really clear. This is not a call to come to Jesus and to switch your mind off. We don't believe that. We don't believe that here. To come to Jesus and to engage with the things of Scripture, including difficult texts, difficult concepts, things that we really need to wrestle with. Do it. Do it. Wrestle with this book. Do it. There's gold to be found in here. But do it with childlike humility. We have to hold these things Together. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3 again. Did you notice the way that Jesus starts? He says, unless you turn and become like children. Jesus is acknowledging that we, as people, all of us here, we are prone to becoming not like children in a bad way. We are prone to this. We are prone to pride. We are prone to arrogance. And Jesus is saying, no, turn and turn towards humility. Is this not the very example that Jesus Christ has set out before us? Unless you turn, unless you turn, there's a call on anyone who wants to follow Jesus to humble themselves like A child. That part of the point of us inviting the children up on the stage here on Sunday mornings isn't just so that we as the adults look up here and go, Oh, aren't they cute? Aren't they cute? Did you hear the accent of that one? That was so, it's like a Disney movie. It's so sweet. It's so sweet. The point is not that we look and go, Aren't they cute? The point is so that we as adults look and go, They're inspiring me. They're inspiring me in my faith. The stories that they're telling, the examples that they're giving, just, just the humility the kids carry themselves. These kids have said things into the microphone up here that's, that the rest of us wouldn't dare to say, including some of the things they've said about God. There's just a wonderful childlike humility. Church, I'm, I'm pressing this point. Jesus is saying, we have to become like that. Kids, we, we need to become like you. Yeah, yeah. We do. When we speak about you being a gift to this church, we're not saying it just with nice, fluffy language. We're saying it because that's what this book teaches us. We need to learn from them. Childlike faith, childlike humility. How does this connect with the ascension of Jesus? Well, the ascension of Jesus, that, 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 even, even that word is a word that the publishers of the Bible have put kind of in the headings above verse 50. It's not a word that Luke used himself. But we can look at this story and we can start thinking about it in a very unchildlike way. Let me with childish type language, childlike type language, let me tell you what Jesus started doing here. Jesus started flying. Am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. And we have to approach this with childlike humility. Otherwise, we're just going to dismiss it as a fable. It's not a fable. If Jesus was able to speak the very earth that he started to rise from into existence, if he could go to a Roman cross and be killed and be raised to life three days later, is it not in logical keeping that it is absolutely possible for him to rise from that earth and to fly? Of course it is. Of course it is. This is Jesus. This is not impossible for him at all. Is it easier to come back from death or to lift off the ground? If you're hearing this story and you're thinking, this, this is why I so wrestle with Christianity is because of stories like this about Jesus flying in the air. And we read in Acts that he went up and, and a cloud hid Jesus from the disciples' sights. You might be thinking, this is why I struggle with this. My encouragement to you is don't start with this miracle. Start with the death and resurrection of Jesus. You've got to start there. Because if you look at that and you you, you examine it and and you you humble yourself in a childlike way and you seek God on this and you come to the place of God, no, I believe this. Then these other things, including what we're looking at this morning about the ascension of Jesus, is so much easier to hold if Jesus was put to death on a cross and came to life three days later. We must approach this and all of the miracles of Jesus in a childlike way humility in a childlike way, not a childish way, not a completely shutting our mind off way, that's not what we're speaking about, but with humility. But Jesus lifting off from the ground is not all that is happening here. There are more details... That we are given. We read that Jesus uh, led them out of Jerusalem as far as Bethany, which is the same place that Lazarus and Mary and Martha were from. I've got this from uh, from Google Earth for you. I I know it's a bit grainy and a little bit difficult to see, but over on the left where it says the Dome of the Rock, that's where the temple stood in Jesus' day and that's part of what is now Old Jerusalem, and Bethany is over here where this yellow line is drawn, about a kilometer and a half to the east, and the route from getting from Jerusalem over to Bethany, it wasn't a very long walk, but the route, you would come out of, the east, out of the east side of the old city there, out of the eastern walls, you would cross uh, across the Kidron Valley, and then up through Gethsemane. At that time, you see where the, 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 the garden, the green is there. At that time, that green would have extended much further south and much further around to the east. And Jesus with his disciples would have walked through Gethsemane, through Gethsemane, up onto the top of the Mount of Olives, up over the top of the Mount, and then over in the direction of Bethany. Why am I bothering to tell you this? I'm telling you this because the ascension of Jesus, the journey there, involved going through the place where Jesus was betrayed and where Jesus was arrested. And this is such a picture of the Christian life. We, we want the ascension. We want the glory. We, we want the, whoa, isn't that amazing? But we don't want Gethsemane. We don't want the crying out to God, God, if there's any other way, or, 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 or that, that night of just darkness. We don't want that. And we're sold, even here in the West, we're sold a version of Christianity that has a whole lot about Bethany and a whole lot about ascension and glory and very little about Gethsemane. And Jesus, even on this journey, he's showing us that it's different. The only reason that the ascension in Luke chapter 24 happens is because Jesus descended in Luke chapter 2 to be born of a virgin. The only reason the ascension happens in Luke chapter 24 is because Jesus ascended to the cross in Luke chapter 23 and then descended to the tomb also in Luke chapter 23. This is the Christian life. If you're a son or daughter of God, if you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, this ascending of, of yourself to glory, to heaven, that will come. That will come. But the way that God works on our character, the way that God shows us his glory and his faithfulness is so often through a journey through Gethsemane. But the journey doesn't stop at Gethsemane. Imagine being one of the disciples, being with Jesus, journeying with him there. They would have remembered about 40 days earlier the last time they were there. They they might have seen the same trees or the same rock where, where Jesus prayed. I don't know. But they would have remembered the last time that they were there. But this time, this time on this side of the cross, it would have felt very different. This time there's such hope. They're with Him. They're with the resurrected Christ. And he leads them in that direction, through Gethsemane, over the Mount of Olives, over towards Bethany. And then we read, as he's there, that he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now when we read that, we, we, can, we can think that Jesus did this. Often in the pictures that you'll see or the famous paintings of Jesus and the ascension, we see Jesus and he's starting to lift off and his hands are kind of like this. That is likely not what Jesus was doing. Jesus in all likelihood was doing this towards his disciples. He was blessing them. He was blessing them in the posture that was very similar to the priest of old as they would bless the people of God. It's also possible that Jesus actually placed his hands on the heads of the disciples as he blessed them, as was very common in commanding a blessing. And while he blesses them, just friends, just please, just picture this. Just picture this. Jesus there, his hands stretched out, lifted, blessing his disciples and as he's blessing them, he starts to lift off the ground. As he's blessing them, he starts to lift off the ground. And we might think that it says after he blessed them, he started to rise. But Luke doesn't say that. As he's blessing them, he begins to rise. And as he's rising, he's continuing to to bless them, and as he's ascending, he's continuing to bless them, and as he's going higher and higher, and in their vision, becoming smaller and smaller and smaller, and then that cloud comes and obscures their view of him, still he's continuing to bless them, and then that cloud moves, we read about that cloud in Acts chapter one, the cloud moves, and they look, and they can't see him anymore, he has ascended into heaven, and what is he continuing to do? He's blessing them. He's blessing them and right now, at the very right hand of the Father. What is he doing for his followers? What is he doing for you, dear Christian? What is he doing for you, son or daughter of God? Right now, he's blessing you. He's blessing you. This is Jesus. He hasn't stopped. Every step he took on earth was a step of blessing and he has continued that mission of blessing even from the right hand of the Father right now. Isn't it amazing that in Luke's gospel, and even in Acts chapter one, Luke doesn't say what Jesus said in the blessing. The point is not what he was saying. The point is what he was doing is that he was blessing them. He was blessing <laughs> them. He was blessing them, and he has continued on. Blessing them. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 encourages us along these lines. Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And listen, more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's what Jesus is doing for you right now. He's interceding before the Father for you. And you can know that if Jesus, as our great high priest, is interceding before the Father for you, that that can result in nothing but blessing in your life. If Jesus is interceding before the Father for you, that can result in nothing but blessing in your life. Blessing as we define it? Blessing as the prosperity heretics define it? No. Blessing as God defines it. Blessing as God defines it. And he is speaking that blessing over you, even right now as he intercedes before the Father. Oh, dear friend, let this encourage us this morning. Let this build us up in Christ this morning. Let this move us in the direction of what the very disciples did that we read about in response, verse 52, and they worshiped him. This is the first record of worship of Jesus when Jesus was not there with them in bodily form. This is why we do this today. They did it right away. Jesus had ascended. Verse 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple blessing God. That continually is talking specifically about the next 10 days and 10 days later which would have made it 50 and you know what that is? That's Pentecost. Penta, five, 50. Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes. And fire falls on them and they're filled with the Spirit and they're sent out. And the mission of Jesus continues, and it continues even today.